This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Hello there. Welcome to you wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition or Weekends with Walshy. As that guy just said, my name is Peter Gowers. Hope you've had a good week. I'd like to throw now to the man from the independent newspaper that is known as the NT Independent, Mr. Chris Walsh, the uh, editor. G'day, Walshy. Hey, good day, Pete. Good to see you. Good to see you too, my friend. I had a big intro prepared for this episode and flubbed my lines at the start there. But anyway, <laughs> it's all good. I was going to talk about how many downloads we've had, how many episodes. You're, uh, yeah. you're almost coming up for a, another bat-raising uh, episode too, Chris. Okay. Getting, getting very close. I know well, you've got absolutely no interest or knowledge of cricket whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, I have no knowledge of what you're talking about in terms of what I might be coming up on, but I think you're going to keep it a secret until it happens, all right? That's usually the way I like to do it, yes. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll give you a pre-warning of about eight minutes. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it's uh, – I think – in total, we've done just over 400 episodes now of the podcast. Mm. With We are closing in on something like 140,000 downloads. Which, yeah, um, awesome. When we set, set out on this journey, we certainly didn't uh, have anything like that in mind. Yeah. Oh, man, that's really good. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. yeah, well, you've been a big part of it too. You've done uh, well over 100 and uh, closing in on, a, on a, another milestone, which I'll tell you about in coming weeks. Yeah, well, I just hope the CLP sends me a card celebrating it. Well, <laughs> or <yeah>. labor, <laughs> buddy. I'm sure someone will send you something. Um, <laughs> it might be a letter bomb, but you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm sure it'll be uh, uh, very man. kind and and uh, wishing like, you all the best. Yeah, you know, with the CLP, I'm just I'm, I'm referencing them sending a 58th birthday card to a convicted murderer. Last mm. week, but uh, Very special birthday, yeah. With with them, <laughs> that's what they said. But with them, you know, it's like pulling teeth these days. You want to get them to comment on stuff that's going on. You know, we had this. Uh, we'll get into it. A secret Chinese meeting here with the chief minister, and I went to them about it. And uh, yeah, and then they sent me a line. It was a line. It was my favorite line that I've ever seen. Mm. Um, I think they could have. Then that's just what it's been like. Remember, we were talking about the fuel cart stuff, and they didn't even want to talk about that. Get back yep. to Jamie Chalker and that stuff, and they just don't want to talk about it. They don't realize, I think, that they have a scandal play government right now, and, and scandal play governments go away. Because the public, as long as you keep on them about their scandals and reminding the public, I mean, that's the way to go. They've got some strategy, the CLP, that that doesn't make sense politically for anybody but themselves. And we'll see how that goes. But again, I think it's another week where they've kind of failed here to really Mm. show what they would do as an alternative government. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I think that we've got... We've got this current government who have come in under this promise of you know transparency and openness and shown anything but. And if yeah. you've learnt nothing from reading the NT Independent, uh, but this one fact that not responding only exacerbates the issues more. So while it may have been a strategy. Uh, by the previous chief minister because of a thinly veiled attempt to, you know, not proliferate hate pages, as he described it. <laughs> well, yeah, which was nonsense. It, um, it, it, it surely 
would have hit home to someone in the know that it is completely counterproductive to just simply not respond to anything. Well, right. And then they should have known that. And you see what's happened. And they still, and then, yeah, Labor still doesn't respond to us and explain things to the public. It's not me. It's not me or Rowan Pike that we want to know for our personal <laughs> business. Yeah. It's like, here's an yeah. opportunity to explain to people, you know, we, we do get thousands of readers every day. Um, and the stories get thousands and thousands and thousands of reads every day is what I'm saying from thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of territorians. So, um, yeah, it's in their best interest to explain things, but they had chosen not to. And then, you know, and, and then we'll just keep breaking, we'll just keep breaking these stories and exposing what they're hiding. And then they just look bad for it. And, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't get that. It, yeah. Anyway, look, there'll be more next week about that very thing. Actually, we'll get to talk about that some more because mm. there's something else going on right now that I've heard of that we're kind of looking into. Mm. Um, but it involves the government just being not being upfront with people, and yeah. uh, and that's all they have to do, really. But anyway, yeah, that's where we're at. It seems like the classic case of um, when you probably know that what you're doing is not working for you. Yeah, but you decide to double down and continue to do it or do it worse. And that's how it's felt the whole time. Right. Yeah. And it was, and it was just a path blazed by Michael Gunner into absurdity and files has followed it. And files who said she was going to differentiate herself and, and make the leadership her own has shown nothing. She's not deviated from anything that Michael Gunner set up. So yeah, yeah it's disappointing. But anyway, look, you've got uh, estimates coming up. This is anti-corruption exposing season. Yeah. <laughs> that usually like in june that's when we get stuff that's when stuff starts coming out june july right. so we do have estimates coming up which will be interesting and you know there'll be a lot of surprises coming out of there um about the corrupt things this government's gotten up to um and then you'd think that labor would be sitting around discussing when it is they roll files and you'd look at august would be the next sitting so right. does it happen sometime before and then a year out from the election so yeah, there's going to be a lot of political stuff going on here in the next little while. So does corruption coming out season coincide with end of financial year or some guys <laughs> needing to be delivered? Yeah, well, it must. Yeah, that and just estimates. We usually things start coming out. And I, I think that there are some good questions that need to be asked. And hopefully those questions will be asked during estimates. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I won't tip my hand or give out any hints yet, but there'll be stuff coming out. Sounds good. Let's get into the thick of it because uh, as we go to air on this episode or start our recording, we've got some breaking news with the uh, government uh, sim- seemingly trying to remove Mark Turner from the NT Labor Party, Chris. Yes, that is right, V. Dear. Just uh, Thursday evening, we're hearing about this. They did put out a statement, apparently, the party. Thursday evening, uh, late afternoon anyway, saying that they have expelled member for Blaine Mark Turner uh, and that, uh, that that I guess the decision comes following a lengthy process. This is Anthony Veens, Venice, not sure how he pronounces his name. Uh, he was a candidate of theirs at the last election, if you recall, he lost. So now he is the party president. I didn't know. I didn't even know that they had a president. They went a long time without having a president. Anyway, he <laughs> says the decision to expel Turner comes following a lengthy process where it became obvious that Mr. Turner couldn't abide by our rules and his renewal of membership will not be accepted, Venice said. 
Uh, Territory Labor remains committed to representing the constituents of Blaine, and we will soon begin our pre-selection process for a new member to run in the 2024 election. So they've claimed now, and that's funny that his comment is that Turner couldn't abide by our rules. Right? Yeah, right. Now, this is very interesting because there's more to this, and, of course, ABC and the ANT News don't have the full story here. Uh, but here's what they're reporting and what the Labor Party wanted to get out here this afternoon or, or this evening. Turner is being ousted uh, for voting contrary to a decision of the Parliamentary Labor Party and, quote, failure to pay his outstanding parliamentary levy, according to the statement. <laughs> uh, so voting contrary to a decision. Now, there were a couple of things there where he did. I think one was the anti-discrimination stuff, if you remember how controversial that was, that it actually caused yep. more problems than it solved, and he had a conflict in there. Um, the other, and then there was, uh, it was about police, a check into police mental health and well-being, and this is at yep. a time where, you know, uh, people that, that Turner knew as a former cop had, were, were killing themselves. We had a spate there of just horrific suicides by former police officers because they weren't getting the help they needed and he couldn't mm -hmm. vote in favor of rejecting that help. But anyway, I want to get into what they're saying here about um, about this following the rules, not following the rules. Now, we know, because we were looking into this, we've been hearing rumblings that, that the party was going to do something. I've seen documents. I know that this has been going on for a while, that they've been trying to kick him out. That Turner, in fact, engaged a lawyer uh, and see, the, the the party actually has um, a set of rules for expelling members, and you need to follow those rules to make sure that everything's legal and done properly. Now, it appears Labor hasn't done that, and and what they've done, so as much as they say he's not following the rules, they haven't followed their own rules to do this properly. So they've stuffed up another, you know, I'm shocked, stacking. Chris. Yeah, it's just files trying to get rid of Chalkers. She screwed that up. They're trying to get rid of an MLA now. They're screwing this up. So, you know, we're hearing that, that Turner's going to be, and we should have a story up soon about that. Um, it looks like Turner will continue to fight this because they haven't done this properly. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I just, it's just the incompetence. It's just the incompetence here that just starts getting to me after a while because it's either corruption or it's incompetence, Pete. It's always one or the other. <laughs> or in most cases, a, a dangerous combination of both. Yeah. In this case, these people are just completely incompetent. Um, and, you know, remember that they tried to get rid of Turner. And Michael Gunner tried to just kick him out of the party outright when he kicked him out of caucus. He wanted him kicked out of the party. And it was young Labour at the time who saved them and showed that they yeah. were actually more powerful than the chief minister. <laughs> yeah, which was hugely embarrassing for the chief minister. Hugely embarrassing. I, I can't think of anything more embarrassing. Well, it just whenever Gunner opened his mouth, I guess <laughs> it was more embarrassment. But uh, yeah, so look, they, they screwed that up back then. Now, of course, the, uh, I was just reading ABC story and I just got to I got to share this with you. Uh, so Turner, they're reporting here, Turner has not been a member of the Labor Caucus since February 2021 when he was voted out. Hmm. Hmm. What happened then, Pete? Do you remember? I don't know. They, the ABC's reporting, it came after then Chief Minister Michael Gunner accused Turner of not being transparent about his connection to a, quote, private citizen as part of the scandal which had become the subject of intense media and political scrutiny. Uh -huh. I mean, this is the Bureau of uh, Misinformation here. <laughs> They're writing sentences. Oh, wait, guys, you mean the cocaine sex scandal? Yes. Ah, that's what you're trying to say when you call it 
not being transparent about his connection to a private citizen as part of a scandal which had become the subject of intense media and political scrutiny. Oh, my God. It's like a game of charades. (laughs) Don't say cocaine sex scandal. (laughs) Look, you can do it because, look, and, you know, we've we've got into that and we've, we've... we're the ones who broke it, um, but and we're the ones who led the, the, the news coverage of all of that. Never been any accusation from anybody involved that, that Turner engaged in illegal drugs or cocaine as part of that. Now, the, the, the allegations at the time were that he had a, 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 a extramarital affair with a, a local sex worker who had also engaged in um, this election night tryst uh, with, we know, Kent Rowe. Uh, convicted pedophile, and uh, yeah, and that's where the allegations of the drugs and stuff. Turner wasn't involved with that part of it. Turner was mixed up in this relationship with the sex worker. Um, so you know, and, and 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 that's how you explain this. I mean, this is what we know facts at this point in time. Um, so the party didn't get rid of him at the time, but now you're wondering, like, okay, so now two years later, two and a half almost years later. They're finally expelling him, and they're just doing it by putting out a media statement as if that's, yeah. you know, so it's written, so it's law. It's like Trump declassifying uh, <laughs> yeah. think exactly. it's dumb. Yeah, yeah. And so I think they're going to run into some problems here, and we'll be sending them some questions Friday morning about it. Well, maybe even later tonight, uh, because they didn't do this properly. But, yeah, you get back to that scandal. I just want to raise that other point. So. You know, and and I think things are going to come out about this again a little bit more. Turner, when he got up in Parliament and he gave a speech, that's when Gunner kicked him out of caucus. And Gunner said that that speech was altered somehow. Um, yeah, and, you know, and, 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 yeah, it had come out that, that somehow. But that was a, an allegation that he had made. So they kicked Turner out of caucus and then they referred him to the Privileges Committee which we know of, you've heard of, it's basically the disciplinary committee that never gets used for anything. <laughs> yeah. um, it just so happened that a young lady by the name of Natasha Files was the chair oh, right. of the Privileges Committee when Turner was referred to the committee. She then completed a thorough and exhaustive investigation of the facts and found mm-hmm. that Turner did not do anything wrong and that he did not mislead Parliament, and she signed off on that. And now they're kicking him out of, out of the party They'd already kicked him out of the caucus, remember, and she went on her, her trust tirade. Yeah. Got a guy yeah, who's lying about killing women with his car, and uh, he's cool. But, you know, Turner, Turner's going to cause them some problems. And, and you look at that now and you see that, well, they're saying he voted against the party, and that's one reason why they got to get rid of him. Yeah, well, look, we, you know, Files has already said he's done nothing wrong. So, you know, yeah, it's it's just contradicting themselves again and just stuffing it up again. Uh, You just got to wonder if these guys can do anything right at this point. So are we to um, assume with the timing of this that it gives them essentially uh, 14 months for that person to come in to head into the uh, next election? Yeah. And look, yeah, yeah. And then, and they're saying that the pre-selection will happen soon. I think the word on the street is that, well, at least in political circles, is that Ruth Palmer, we'll talk about her later from the property council, that she's probably the favorite to be pre-selected. She does live in Palmerston. Not sure if she's in Blaine, but the political people will tell you that that's who Labor's eyeing for pre-selection for this. She's been on the podcast before. Yeah, oh, yeah, look, yeah, Ruth knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah, she's been around for a while. She's been involved with labor for a while. She was a staffer there for a while. She's worked with all of the the Red Tribe. 
Yeah. Um, the homegrown, let's specify the homegrown red tribe here too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that'll be interesting because that, that kind of sets up an interesting race in Blaine. And I know that the NTC is already looking at changing um, the makeup of some of these um, seats out there. Right. In yeah. And Blaine is one that will be one to watch there because if you've got Turner running as an independent, you know, if he exhausts everything here and he, and he is at a party. Uh, and then you've got the CLP, who they might put up, probably the same guy they put up last time. You remember the Blade Runner guy? Uh, oh, yeah, Matthew yeah. Curley looked like the Blade yeah. Runner dude. And, uh, and Terry going to go again? We're bomber now. <laughs> we haven't heard from Terry. Terry's still licking his wounds, Matt. And that he was three years ago. Dash. It cost him like 400000 of his own yeah, money yeah. or something. That was a, yeah. Wow, that was a debacle. Um but yeah, look, so you get into there and you get into preferences and stuff. And, you know, it, it's an interesting riding to watch. Yeah. It's going to be one to watch on election night. Yep, absolutely. Well, I guess uh, we'll wait for some more news on that to see whether they can actually kick him out. I, I did note with interest there that one of the reasons they use was because he hadn't paid his, his <laughs> levies. Quite yeah. smart when you, you know, when, when your membership could be on the line not to throw your money away with your levies. Well, the thing is, too, right? I mean, like, I, I go in and I watch these donations, and what they're paying is like they're not paying 150 bucks or something. They're like kicking in a percentage of their income, of their salary, of their parliamentarian oh, really? salary. Yeah, so they're paying thousands of dollars. And yeah, that. right. that's not just a one off fee. Um, so, yeah, so that's interesting. We'll see. Yeah, I, I don't blame them for not paying it either. I, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, yeah. trust them with the money anyway. But uh, well, that's true. Yeah, we'll that see. must be going back to their socialist roots by um, yeah, parliamentary k- levy kicking in a percentage. Yeah, parliamentary levy they call it. So yeah, it's thousands of dollars. So yeah, interesting. All right. Well, I'm sure you'll update us with more with that in the coming week or so. Um, moving on to the second story, Chris, on this episode. Uh, an interesting one. Um, Natasha Files had a secret meeting with a Chinese ambassador, which has only been reported in China. Hmm. Uh, and I believe there was a quote in the story there about um, uh, the chief minister saying that she uh, has friends in China. <laughs> Very strong well, quote. Yeah, well, yeah, fortunately it's not exactly from her. That's from right. our, our old friend uh, Scotty Bowman. Uh-huh. Greatest NHL coach in the history of the National Hockey League, Detroit oh, Red Wings, yeah. Scotty Bowman. Now, this Scotty Bowman is, uh, of course, the vice chancellor at CDU. So he's the one. And, and I'll get to that in a second here because it's just a bizarre story. Hmm. So apparently now we see that on this state, this uh, Chinese state media report that, you know, that the uh, Chinese ambassador to Australia. Uh, and I probably won't pronounce his name properly, but it's, it looks like Zhao Quinn, Q and Quinn, Zhao Quinn, we'll say. Uh, anyway, the ambassador to was Australia. was a proper accent, Chris. <laughs> yeah, in Darwin to reportedly, apparently he was in Darwin recently this week uh, to meet with the chief minister and other senior government officials to discuss, quote, a willingness to strengthen exchanges and cooperation with China in various fields. The Chinese state media reported, of course, while the Files government did not publicly disclose this meeting to Territorians. Mm. Now, this is where, you know, this becomes an issue. It's not an issue. They didn't build some roads, did they, by any chance? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we we don't know what they discussed. We don't know if she signed anything. She might have come out of there signing. Remember, Gunnar 
yeah, kind yeah. Of secret China deal yeah, that we didn't yeah. know about that he was lying about. We found out later. <laughs> um, but this is the problem, right? I mean, you, you can't have faith in your elected officials when they're not telling you about meeting with Chinese government officials and what those discussions are. Now, I went back and I looked and I was trying to find any type of statement about this meeting. It doesn't mm. exist. It never happened in their mind. They never told anybody here. But in April, Files issued a press release celebrating the visit of the U.S. and Japan's ambassadors to the mm. NT to discuss critical minerals. But no such re- release was issued ahead of uh, Mr. Zhao's visit. Um, that is odd. It's very odd that you it wouldn't is. just explain to people, this is like Gunnar got in trouble for this. This made like national news with him yeah, and the secret thing. <laughs> and we had experts, national experts saying like, well, people should be concerned about this. When a government isn't being upfront and honest with its people about what its dealings are, that, yeah. that there's serious grounds for concern. Mm-hmm. So they hold this meeting and they discuss this. So th- And look, we're getting this from the Chinese state <laughs> newspaper, right? You, like this you is, know you're getting a lack of information when your source is Chinese state yeah, media. They're the only ones who are actually reporting <laughs> this goddamn thing. So here's what happened. Here's what we know happened. And I think we left this out of the story because he hardly matters, but they made a big deal about how they met with um, Natasha Foss, Chief Minister, Deputy Chief Minister Nicole Madison. Uh, and I think they threw in there too, Speaker Mark, Mark Monaghan as if that's oh, yeah. of any consequence. But anyway. Uh, signed off on the air tickets. <laughs> which they reported, uh, and this is Xinhao uh, State Media reported, uh, that the meeting was held recently. They didn't even give a date to discuss, quote, strengthening cooperation with China. The Australian officials, now this is a line in the story. The Australian mm-hmm. officials, who looks like it's Files and Madison, and Monaghan <laughs> tripped in and tore his pants open or something. You know, he was there for comic <laughs> relief. Uh, the Australian officials, meaning NT officials, I guess, welcomed, welcomed Zhao's visit and said that the NT looks forward to strengthening cooperation with China in tourism, renewable energy, education, and other fields, the paper reported. Zhao said China is willing to explore more areas of cooperation in addressing climate change, green infrastructure, and new energy. Uh, Like we said, however, the government did not release a public statement in the NT or anywhere else, for that matter, about the meeting and discussions. But they're basically saying, you know, the Australian officials said that they're looking forward to this. So this is the Chinese state media commenting at what the... NT officials said to them they thought about the whole yes. situation. <laughs> yes, yes, this is the, the absurdity of wow. this whole thing. And this is what happens when you when you leave a vacuum there of, of lack of information, of no information yeah. coming out. We now have to take what our officials are saying about the Chinese state media. And, and like sooner or later, we all will be reading Xin Hao news to figure out what's going on in Darwin. This is just this is just a, a preview yeah. of what the future is going to look like here. I mean, this is ridiculous. Like honestly, this is a real problem that they didn't make this public that they were having this meeting. It's a serious issue here. It's a serious breach of trust of the public's trust to to get into these secret meetings, especially when they're talking about things like this. If this is true, tourism, renewable energy. Now, education was Gunner's whole thing. We found out that was his secret. Yes. He said it was sister cities. Yeah, remember he first said that it was a lie. That was a total lie. And then we found out that it was actually some education agreement that was supposed to see exchanges between teachers and students. And yeah. like, it was really 
shady, whatever was going on with that. And that he never told anybody about it. He, he never reported that he had signed anything and mm. we had to find it out. I think there are estimates yeah. one year when we got the final document. Oh, and he also floated the, um, uh, the, the freedom of information laws. When we tried to FOI it, he wouldn't let us see. So uh, we saw that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so this is just really bad, a bad look. But if they're talking renewable energy and other fields, whatever the hell that means. Yep. Um, but renewable energy, tourism, stuff like this, green infrastructure, climate change, new energy. I mean, this is serious stuff. And if the government's serious about that, they should be telling us what they're talking to China about in relation to this. Now, we know middle arm is shrouded in secrecy. Yeah. Right? Like, we, the, you know, she's still lying. chemicals area. Yeah, she's yeah. still lying about that. And FOI documents showed, again, that the chief minister was lying to us all. Uh, that there is going to be petrochemicals. And of course there is. And they're, they're now doing a feasibility study on uh, clean hydrogen, she's calling it, repeatedly saying clean hydrogen. Um, what we know, and then there, there's the, them in the, and, and their state media, the NT News, <laughs> the NT government state media, the NT News, is also reporting that there's some imminent big announcement about middle arm. And here she is meeting with the Chinese, and the idea around that is that they're going to announce some major tenant, some major company's going to come in. Right. So were they talking about that with the, with the Chinese? Like, we don't, you need to tell the public what you're doing when you're getting into conversations with China, of all places. I would say any international body that you're dealing with, you, you're better yep. off telling the public what's going on. <laughs> um, so we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what they talked about here. Um, her office, of course, did not respond to questions that we sent today, including why the public was not informed of this meeting, what was discussed, and if files had signed any agreements. Now, this is the kind of stuff we need to ask, because anytime I see these idiots with, like, international people, it makes me really nervous. It makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, seeing files Could in the Madison. federal government be working in cahoots with them with anything like this? Well, there would be, you would think so. But remember, the Gunners Agreement wasn't signed off on by Foreign Affairs, and he had said it was yep. too, and we proved it wasn't. So, yeah, as much as they say that, but we don't know. I mean, this wasn't on international soil, so they wouldn't have had necessarily any of the, the federal uh, bodies with them when they met yep. with the ambassador here in Darwin. He apparently showed up at the Dragon Boat Festival as well on the weekend, where he was right. high-fiving Convats Gallus. And, <laughs> And like, anyway, something's so I'm weird. I'm surprised about I didn't have him as a guest judge at the Luxor competition. <laughs> oh, I think he bunked up at Khan's place for the weekend. Uh, yeah, that's really un unusual as well. But yeah, we don't know if the Darwin Port was discussed, as we're reporting here too, with the meeting with Files in Madison, right. um, which we know was controversial, at least to Chinese owned company in 2015. Uh, now, the uh, opposition leader, as I said, I went to them. I said, uh, What's going on here? What do you guys make of this? It's only in Chinese state media. So, uh, Gerard Manley. Uh, he's now said that it's hardly news that this labor government operates in secret on a whole range of issues. Perhaps they need reminding of their 2016 restoring integrity to government paper. Now, and that's, and that's fine. I guess that's a, a fair point. Um, I think it's much more serious than that. And I, yeah, any government that just has secret meetings with foreign powers and doesn't tell anybody, especially one as controversial as China. Hey, yeah. And plus they're reminded of that, um, you know, transparency in government paper every day, and it's made no difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, they don't care. Um, yeah, 
No, they never did. I mean, they did it to get elected, and once they got elected, that was thrown out the window. Jin Hao now, but here's where we're getting into some just bizarro quotes. Jin <laughs> Hao also reported that the visit from Mr. Zhao involved a trip to Charles Darwin University's Confucius Institute. <laughs> now, this is a great little organization and, we got there. what did Confucius say? About that? <laughs> Confucius said foreign powers <laughs> interfering in academia, not good luck. <laughs> right? So, and this is what's going on, right? Like, I know this internationally. Canada, the U.S., the U.K., they're all getting rid of these Confucius Institutes. It's very controversial. Yeah. Uh, but look at us here in Darwin. We don't know anything. We've uh, we've got our vice chancellor. Now he's quoted, Scott Bowman, CDU vice chancellor, quoted in the Chinese state news story. Now this is that he gave an exclusive interview mm. to them. And again, CDU didn't put out any statement about these secret China meetings they were having. Right. Um, but he gave a, an interview. Um, where he stated how important the Confucius Institute at CDU was to the university and how much he loved Chinese culture. I'm so glad he said culture, not food. (laughs) It reminds me of an old Sarah Silverman joke that I won't get into. I think I was pushing the boundaries last week with some old joke I said, so I'm not going to get into this one. But anyway, the Confucius Institute, Bowman says, and this is quoted, we're getting our news from the Chinese state government media. This is our world. Yeah, and this is what he said, according to them. The Confucius Institute is a really important part of the university, and it's a wonderful way that we can show Darwin and the Northern Territory the fantastic culture of China and teach the Chinese language. He reportedly told the state news agency in an interview. Then he says, I love Chinese culture. I visited China many, many times. I have friends in China. (laughs) As if he's like... You know, they're coming in and they're okay. saying, all right, now, who's with us, who's against us? And Bowman's yeah, down yeah. on his knees, kissing their feet, saying, no, no, I love China. I visited China many times. I have friends in China. China, cool. Um, yeah, and then he went on to say, I think it's just a fantastic, friendly culture. It's so different and so intricate, but people are very friendly and welcoming, and they introduce you to the culture. Uh, like we say here, Bowman and the university also did not issue any media statements locally about the meeting. We know that the U.S., Canada, and U.K. have all recently committed to shutting down the CCP-backed Confucius Institutes over spying and freedom of speech concerns. Calls have also grown in Australia on the federal level for the institutes to be shuttered at the 12 universities across the country they currently operate in. Mm -hmm. And this was a line from Foreign Minister Penny Wong back in February. I was looking this up today. The government remains, now this is what the Foreign Minister Penny Wong said in February, because of pressure being put on them to shut Confucius Institute down, and they had done a national security review. Mm. She said the government remains concerned about foreign interference and potential risks to academic freedom through some foreign arrangements at universities, and will keep these arrangements under review. Right? So, so this is what's going on federally. Meanwhile, we get a bunch of bozos from the NT just walking into things. It's like when the port was sold, at least. They had no idea they did not even consider, Jody Ryan had not even considered the geopolitical ramifications of what that would mean. Did not even cross her mind because Captain Ron told her it was a good deal for everybody. And I'm not making this up, man. Like I sat in a meeting with all of these people who made the decision to lease the port to China. Me and Amos Aikman from the Australian 
And they said it was Captain John. Sorry, it was Captain John. Captain John told us it was a good deal. I said, okay. And, and what's Captain John's last name? Well, uh, ooh, Jody Ryan couldn't remember. Alistair Shields, do you remember Captain John's name? No. Do you remember Captain? No, no. Nobody remember Captain John's name. The guy told them it was a great idea. Turns out he runs a bed and breakfast. I, I said to them at one point, I said, D- D- was he dressed like a pirate? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Captain John Hook, was it? <laughs> I, I don't know. We found the guy. I can't remember his name now. Years later, I found him. Yeah. And he was running a bed and breakfast. <laughs> I'm not even making this up, man. My hand to God. Yes, they, they did not do their due diligence. They, not a frame of reference, the context that they understand. So here we are, and this is what makes me just so nervous when I see these idiots getting caught up with international figures. Um, yeah. And then when you see that photo today, anyway, Miss Files' secret meeting again is not the first time an anti chief minister has attracted controversy for covert dealings with the Chinese government. Of course, we know Gunnar had signed that secret arrangement with Shenzhen government officials um, mm-hmm. while on trade meetings in 2019. He initially claimed it was a sister cities arrangement, but it was later revealed that it was an education agreement that we still don't know what's gone on there with that. Showing his internal, his international diplomacy skills around international commerce, Mr. Gunnar also said of China in 2021, if you allow people to buy what they need, then they don't invade you. <laughs> you remember that little yeah, doozy? I yeah. do, actually. I do. In, this is uh, what makes me so nervous. So nervous. Many Mr. Michael's gaffes. Ah, <laughs> uh, God. Yeah. Yeah, the man couldn't speak properly. He couldn't think properly, clearly. No, and, and he struggled under pressure. That was, I think, part of his, his sort of where he made his biggest gaffes was when he was under unexpected pressure. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's most concerning about all that, I reckon, is if they're having you know, in-depth conversations with the foreign government in relation to greenhouse emissions when that particular government is, if not the largest, one of the largest greenhouse gas emitters on the planet. Yeah, good point, Pete. Yeah, Yeah, that's bizarre. I'm not sure that, that, that any state or territory government should be in a position to be getting involved in those conversations at that level given what that particular government does, you know, with their environmental side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, you're absolutely right. And this is why you explain it to people. You let people know what's going on, what you're going to be talking about, because you're right, that doesn't make a lot of sense there. Unless, like I said, again, we get back to that middle arm thing and our state media here, the NT News yeah. reporting, there's some imminent announcement mm. going to be made yeah anyway look yeah I, that's troubling the whole thing's just troubling to me i believe that the uh Jin Hao media also went on to say that uh the chief minister's offside has said nothing but jobs 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 <laughs> is it all and some crazy lady was off on the side just <laughs> shouting at us repeatedly we don't know why yeah yeah it's um yeah i mean yeah they they just left and shook their head and they're like well at least we'll always have a confucius institute in darwin oh man i could tell that they were confused so we'll be uh, able to have that institute there forever (laughs) absolutely all right crazy crazy move on to the next story this one is uh, pretty serious chris because you know we've talked about the um uh zach rolfe uh situation for quite some time and you know this this was very troubling when you look into what happened here with uh, police coronial report 
uh, being significantly altered after Zach Rolf's legal team became aware of its existence. Uh, this is according to documents that, that uh, have shown this, Chris. Yeah, that's right. Look, documents that we've wanted to see for a long time, documents that got us caught up in some sort of, you know, allegations of, uh, of, uh, of uh, what was it, breaching the, uh, or being in contempt of court. It's, uh, Ian Freckleton, Chalker's lawyer, like to accuse us of. However, none of that was true. But what we requested way back then, and, and you got to think about this, Pete, and I'm, because we've been thinking about it a lot. We, okay, we requested these documents. So there's seven draft reports of Scott Pollock and David Proctor, two coronial investigators, and there's one final draft one final version that came out. So, uh, you know, we wanted these. Now, this is so bizarre. This is so unusual that you would have this many drafts actually known that did, did exist. There's usually, like, maybe internally they do that, but there's only one that ever becomes public. And this one, mm-hmm. there were eight, eight separate documents, all told. So we wanted to see that. We requested that back in September when we saw how many there were. Now, around that time, we had reported on at least one document that we weren't even sure was in there. We didn't get it from anybody involved in the courts, and we're not in contempt of court. Um, But we wanted to know what we had and whether what we had was actually in there. And if you recall, I was saying that back at the time when we were breaking these stories. Mm. Um, And I said, my fear is that this stuff isn't in the reports that they have. And this is where we were seeing things. Now, we didn't know until recently, until just now, how things have been altered, but we knew it was suppressed. We knew that Chalker, that, that they had gone to trial, they were going to trial to charge the most serious crime in the criminal code, murder, uh, of Zach Rolf, that, that Zach Rolf had committed murder. Um, during discovery for that, Chalker and the police withheld evidence. They withheld this report by Scott Pollock. Now, that we knew when we broke that, I think, a couple of years ago when it was happening, 2021. <laughs> um and and you know it was just it was just shocking at the time that that that, that, that they would try and do that that they were basically withholding evidence and what the hell and what would have happened if they hadn't found out about it the rolfs and rolfs defense team would he be in jail right now right you know we didn't know so anyway and then we started to see some of what was in this report so we made the decision we've got to publish this it's in the public interest now that was back in end of august early september when the inquest was starting and this is why, where I have a problem. And, and this is where I have a problem. And I'll be critical of the inquest again. Because she would not release that, Elizabeth Armitage, the coroner. Uh, we put in a request for that. We said, you know, when you're going to get on us, if Frecklebags there is on us about uh, reporting this stuff, we think it's in the public interest. Let's see if, if it's all in there. Let's just get it out because, look, this is the other thing in the coronial process. When these documents become public, when they become part of that inquest, they are readily available to anybody who wants them. Now, for some reason, she put in a suppression order, the coroner, Armitage. You can't have these documents and there's other things you can't have because we get back to this narrative that her and Peggy Mm -hmm. Dwyer driving they want to do it it's all about these racist text messages there's nothing else that happened here peggy dwyer is going to expose everything there's racism in police like i said like we, this is no surprise to us i mean those text racist text messages were completely unacceptable everyone agrees with that is there racism in the police force absolutely is it ingrained absolutely has it been there for a long time absolutely are they going to get rid of it probably not 
<clears throat> that's one aspect. But the other aspect of this is that something went on behind the scenes during the criminal investigation into Rolf that had Scott Pollock when he was up at the inquest in November saying this is the most biased investigation against the subject I've ever seen. These are the reasons why. So the only way you can look at this, Pete, is that she makes this public about three, four weeks ago. She finally releases these reports, right? What is it? It's June. So sometime May, mid-May, she decides, and this is about a week after Chalker's gone. That's police commissioner, too that this all comes out. Now, why? I mean, I, she said something that, oh, well, we didn't want the information getting out before these people were called to testify, right? But Pollock was called to testify, and they barely touched on this. And this is allegations, what appears to be here, uh, attempting to pervert the course of justice, tampering with evidence. This stuff was not addressed properly. And in fact, any time that the, the Rolf's lawyers try to bring it up at the inquest, Peggy Dwyer would get up and say, nah, you're wasting court's time. We don't have time to hear about this. And Armitage even said to, okay, get on with it quickly now. Hmm. Um, and Antisich, who was making the calls to suspend the coronal investigation, was saying, uh, I don't want to talk about this. I don't really know why this is why we're even going there. And then that, that cued Dwyer to get up and she objected. It, it was, hmm. It's been a disgusting little scene this whole thing. But I get to this point. If we didn't report it in September, and, and I'll tell you, those stories had tens of thousands of reads, and we got on uh, Media Watch because we were reporting this stuff, so it had good coverage and people needed to know what was in these reports. If we had not done that, and we waited for this, and this is what I said was going to happen, and I told you this, Pete, on this podcast months ago, I said, there's going to be fatigue. Everyone's going to be tired. By the time this coronial inquest ends, if it ever ends, um, you know, eight months from now, no one's going to care anymore about this stuff. We had to get it out while people were interested in what was going to happen. Now, why the coroner and counsel assisting suppressed it again and, and, and didn't really allow discussion about it during the inquest, that just baffles me still. Yeah. Except they're doing their own little show, their little dog and pony show there. And it's... It's just, anyway, look, so she finally releases it. If we didn't report it and get the coverage that we gave it and the national attention we were able to get for it, nobody would care at this point. I think uh, uh, Cunningham ran a story about the final report for Sky News, and that was it, one story, and I don't think anybody cared. Uh, 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 I think ABC ran something on it. Again, that, that was confusing, all muddled with all kinds of other things. Um yeah, it's just, it seems to me that they just did not want to talk about this stuff. So we've taken a different approach since we already knew some of the stuff that was in there. When we reported it, we decided, okay, it's going to take us more time, but let's go through them. Let's go through every draft and see what was changed. And then we get into a time frame and a timeline, I guess, of how this is going to go um, and how it's gone. And we can see the dates. Now, some of them are undated, right? But we know that uh, Scott Pollock, had started this coronial in investigation for the police on behalf of the coroner uh, when it happened. So in November 2020, a year after, I remember the Kumanjai Walker shooting was November 2019. November 2020, Antisich, Nick Antisich, the former assistant commissioner and then assistant commissioner, uh, decides that he doesn't like, and this has all been aired in, in the inquest as well as in reports, um, he decides that he doesn't like where the coronial is going. 
So he tells Pollock, you're off the case. I'm bringing someone else in. Uh, then he thinks about it a little bit more. Maybe talk to somebody. Who knows? Who could his boss be? And uh, and they decide, just shut it all down. And and they, they did this. They shut it down for three days, the coronial inquest, a year after it started because they said, well, we, we don't think it should be going at the same time as the criminal investigation. Well, no, absolutely it should. And why did it take you a year to decide that? Well, they couldn't explain that. Um, and then it appears, from what our knowledge is, is that the NEN coroner, Greg Kavanaugh, is the one who called them up and said, what the hell are you doing? The coronial investigation continues. You don't have the power to shut it down. Hmm. So it started again. At this point, though, David Proctor takes over from Scott Pollock. And this is the way the police brass wanted it. Um, what we see in, in this report that we ran this week is that when he came over, when he when he took over from uh, Pollock, he removed vast sections of Pollock's report that were critical of the police in the whole Uendamu incident. Now, it, it was a number of, of issues here. It was findings that included that the anti-police lied to Kumanjai Walker's family about his condition the night of the shooting in Uendamu, refused to perform month-to-month resuscitation, highlighted significant internal failures by senior police to properly manage the immediate response team the night they were deployed to U- Uendamu. We know the final version of the report also showed that investigators ignored legal advice from the DPP in their pursuit to lay the murder charge against Rolf, including that their two use of force experts were not reliable it also found critical decisions, what it called critical decisions about the investigation were made outside of official meetings and not properly recorded, including one that involved Jamie Chalker's office as chief of staff directly influencing one of those critical decisions to use compromised use of force experts against legal advice. Now, a lot of that was found by Pollock. In fact, all of that was found by Pollock and all of it taken out of Proctor's first report. Right. Okay, so you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, now this is this is odd. Now, what we see, and so January 2021 was uh, Proctor's final report. There's some time between there and April that Proctor does his first report, where all of that stuff critical of police and their handling of this and the criminal investigation is just completely taken up. Now, in the meantime, you see what starts to happen. Right? Is that, and we put this together in the timeline. How does how is it that the defense finds out about this? We're asking that. So I called yeah. Richard and I said, Richard, when did you find out about this report that Pollock existed? And he said, and he looked and he sent me this thing, and it, and it was a text message to Pollock from Richard Rolfe, dated April 17th, 2021. And in that text message, he says words to the effect of, Hi, I'm Scott Pollock. My name's Richard Rolfe. I'm Zach Rolfe's father. I'm very concerned about my son um, and the charges he's facing. I understand you have information. I'd like to talk to you about it. Now, Richard Rolfe says that within the hour, I think, Pollock called him. They discussed the contents of the report and that Pollock had told him, I need to tell the police that you've contacted me. Mm. So he goes to do this. Now, regardless of, of whatever of, of that, we know that that's the time frame of how this happened. So April 17th, that is when the anti-police became aware that, Rolf, that the Rolfs knew about this Pollock report. Now, to this day, Pete, they had gone through discovery. They did not know. They did not see it. 
It was not given to them. It was suppressed. Jamie Chalker's lawyer at the time had to say, oh, nothing nefarious has gone on here, but then did not provide an explanation for why on earth this damning critical report of the police that, that had things in there that showed that the criminal investigation was biased against Rolf, why that was suppressed and never given to them. So April 17th, now we find that on April 19th, two days later, the police Pollock's report changes. Pollock's report, and then is all that critical stuff that was taken out is reinserted. Mm. And this is, when, this is two days after the police brass become aware that the Rolfs know about it, and clearly they know that they're going to try and get it. Now, if they, if they had searched this, if they got this report, and it didn't have the stuff that Pollock had said, well, then you're going to be in a lot more trouble, aren't you? Because then you're really tampering with evidence at that yeah. point. <laughs> so what they did was just reinsert it, reinsert it, try and do things. Now, the stuff that they carried through, which is interesting, too, was all the negative stuff about Rolf. And then but this is valid stuff, right? I mean, look, I don't said yeah. this before. Some people who don't think Rolf should have been in the police. And in fact, he shouldn't have been. He lied on his application. Um, there were some issues that he left out. There were, uh, I guess, these aggression issues that were picked up. Um, there's questions of whether or not he should have been allowed in to the police. He was anyway, but this goes to a biased investigation into somebody, and, and it is him as a cop. It could have been anybody else, any other territory at this point, and this is the problem that we're in, is that we're, we're, we've lost faith in our police force and our judiciary and this fundamental democratic institution um, of the judiciary and that we and the of, of, of law enforcement and the you know fair trials happen evidence is collected by police properly it's given everything like they have a duty to hand over everything at that discovery ahead of a murder trial mm. you don't and, and then keep what what, you, what isn't beneficial you have a duty and a responsibility and legally obligated to give up all of the evidence and they did not do that until this point so they find it and then in May. Um, uh, Rolf's lawyers put forward subpoenas for these documents, and they get some. And the judge criticized Chalker and the police over this. And he said, um, he said, uh, Justice Dean Mildren ruled in their favor that month. This is in May 2021, uh, stating that the quote failure to provide the documents to the defense team and possibly the DPP quote may have caused the trial to miscarry. Mildren said. Worse, if the documents are never revealed, it may be that an innocent person has been wrongly convicted. He wrote in his decision, it is hoped that this situation will not occur in the future. Yeah, I bet it's hoped it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good luck. I mean, it kind of already has, hasn't it, with the calling wind stuff? Yeah. I mean, this very similar to that and you look at that and you know you take your personal opinion about people out of it and you say this was not fair this was not how this should have been done um this does appear to be attempting to pervert the course of justice this appears to be witness tamper evidence tampering in this case um now what happened so they get the documents chucker of course insisted on redacting certain sections of the drafts that they got under legal professional privilege uh, those redacted sections we now know, and we reported in February, centered around police ignoring legal advice from the DPP, which was removed entirely from Proctor's first draft report after he took over from Pollock, but was reinserted in his last draft before the final coronial report. So there's still stuff like that. Yep. Um, yeah, and then we go through some of the things that were changed, but basically this is stuff that was critical to the police. Um, 
that they that they altered significantly based on when they knew the people that they were caught out basically and they're scrambling then and they're trying to figure it out how do we cover this up now how do we deal with this well we got to just show and it was a draft and nobody will really pay attention and all can we get the coroner to maybe release it 10 months after she starts the inquest and nobody cares everyone's tired and fatigued from this whole thing (laughs) i mean it's just it's just a bad look all around now keep in mind too that under the anti-coroner's act armitage can't include any evidence of illegal conduct that she discovers in, in the course of the inquest in her final coronial report, she must instead quietly refer any suspected illegal conduct to the director of public prosecutions and the anti-police commissioner. Yeah. And we've been through that. And the, both of those positions are compromised now, that's too. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And and how do you restore faith? And that's what we were saying in the news by thing the other yeah. day. Is it comes down to just fundamental questions of our democracy and the right to fair trial and evidence being collected, law enforcement, the judicial figures. It, it's so much, but it's like, this is what we rely on. They're the fundamentals to keep our democracy moving, and they've been compromised. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody has any faith in this anymore, any trust in the police or the courts, or the the office of the DPP, after you've got this and the calling Gwynn thing, how many other cases are there out there where the police have mm-hmm. up evidence collecting that they went on their wild goose chases of revenge? This all seems like, you know, you're trying to get people back for things instead of letting justice happen. And, and in this case, you know, Mildred was pretty critical when he found out about that. But has anybody looked at this? Is anybody doing anything about it? We know Mark Turner and, and Robin Lamley are the only two MLAs who've come out and said anything about this kind of stuff, saying that we need this federal inquiry into police here. Um, you know, in Canberra, they admitted when they screwed up, the, the Lerman Higgins stuff. <laughs> I did. You know, they had a public inquiry about it. Now, we don't even trust the Northern Territory to do that properly, so we would rather have federal people come in and actually run whatever needs to be done here. But this is so serious to our democracy that, that something needs to be done. This needs to be addressed. It can't just linger like this, and you know, and Chalker's out the back door with a bag full of cash when there's serious questions that he has to answer for. And we've sent questions to him, to his lawyer, and they're just, no, nah, they don't want to respond. They're not going to talk about it. Um, it seems to be the way. So, well, we've sent him the questions. We'll just keep writing stories about it, but, you know, but sooner or later, somebody's going to have to take action, show leadership and restore the public's confidence in its democratic institutions because mm. it's not happening now. And it, you know, it, it can't go on like this forever here. It's just, you can't do that. No, and this is stating the bleeding obvious, but it is hugely, hugely concerning. Um, you know, take someone like Zach Rolf, don't know him personally, and you know yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the facts of the case, I guess, uh, are known because of it was being such a high profile thing. Mm. Um, but it's just frightening to think that somebody uh, that is disliked for whatever reasons uh, can have his or her case potentially tainted yeah. as yeah. a result of a, 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 a bias in the way that things are investigated. Yeah, it, it just, it totally blows my mind, this whole thing, the, the closer the, and you know, you can go back and I encourage people still on our, on our main page where we have that special investigation um, banner about three columns down, 
yeah. go there and read all of this stuff because this is we've been the ones leading this and documenting everything here. Mm-hmm. We know it inside and out. And I'm telling you, this smells so bad. This is like we've seen this. I've already written an editorial saying we've got the closest to a smoking gun that we've seen yeah. when when you're disobeying DPP legal advice and you're and the commissioner's office is getting involved with the investigation and telling people things that aren't true or apparently appear not to be true about the experts and encouraging to use compromised experts. But then you get the DPP going along with it after their own advice. Do not use mm-hmm. these two guys. They're not qualified. They're not suitable. They've got conflicts of interest. I mean, the, the American guy that they said, don't you, his, his stuff was being altered and edited by the investigators to suit yeah. their case. Like this is proved. This is proven. Um, and nobody's done anything about this in the inquest and the coroner doesn't seem to care about any of this. So, uh, you know, you know, something has to happen, but go read this because it is shocking that this has been allowed to go on and I don't know what it takes. Well, I do. I mean, I think we need this federal inquiry. We need somebody to come in and restore our confidence in our own systems at this point. Yep. And it's multifaceted too. It's not just, you know, a one-off situation. So, um, well, Chris, we'll um, yeah. wait with bated breath. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, Pete, there will be more. We'll be talking about this next week, too. I'm working on a couple other things here related okay. to it. So, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We'll move to the next story and uh, another one that just won't seem to go away due to probably lack of answers to questions. And that is that the uh, independent board that sets the polys benefits has uh, refused to explain what's going on in relation to these fuel cars that we're talking about. Yeah, Pete, this is like another one that just blows my mind. And I'm like, my God, okay. I see that how this is happening right in front of us all. I've pointed this out. When is somebody going to do something about this? I don't know. Like years ago, this like this story would be huge. This would be crazy. People would be resigning. Honestly, there'd be investigate police investigations, anti-corruption investigations, integrity investigations. Instead, this is the Northern Territory where this is like, oh well, yeah, yeah, that happened. They created their own benefit scheme here, their own entitlement to mm. charge taxpayers for their own personal holidays interstate. I, I don't know how else to put that. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is what it is. So so you've got, and you got the first law officer of the Northern Territory. We get back into this. This is Attorney General Chancey Pake and his mate, the labor member for Delhi, D. Ran Young. So now these clowns get together and they, they, they want to go on a Christmas holiday separately, but they want to take their cars and go interstate. And so the, uh, uh, so now we see with the timing that the, the, the the speaker becomes aware of it, Mark Monahan. He then, you know, unilaterally clarifies, they say, an entitlement to let them claim to use their government fuel card interstate to pay for fuel for their interstate personal holidays. Now, we've gone and, you know, we've talked about this, but I've gone to that independent body. Now, they're called the Remuneration Tribunal. Now, they make the rules and the determinations for anti uh, politicians' salaries and benefits. Now, we've gone to them and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to be talking about it at a meeting. And they've not told us what they determined at that meeting. Um, so we went to them. They've now refused to explain how these two labor MLAs were able to charge taxpayers for personal holidays on their government fuel cards through a benefit scheme that does not appear to exist. Um, 
and that's all we want from them. I think one thing was, oh, well, you know, once we make the determination, it's out of our hands. Okay, but they did this. Just tell us what was the determined. Like, it's not in there. <laughs> so what was the intent? Based on what? Did you intend for MLAs to be able to use their government fuel cards interstate for personal holidays? Yes or no? Just tell us. Yeah. Because this, this needs to be investigated again now by the police and stuff. Because I don't see any legal way that uh, the Monaghan's done this. Now, he's able to bring forward a speaker's um, a determination in relation to the remuneration tribunal determination, right? He is, but this is for, like, say, here are the proper forms you need to fill out to claim whatever. What he's done in this instance is created a whole new entitlement and just mm-hmm. said, oh, yeah, I've decided we're going to insert this in here. Now, no, the, the, nowhere in that determination does it state that politicians can use their government fuel card for travel interstate. Um, the same tribunal, as we know, sets the local court judges' uh, uh, salaries and entitlements as well. They, it specifically says in there, no, do not, you're not allowed to use this. The anti-public service also forbids the practice for executive public servants of charging taxpayers for money interstate. Now, where this gets interesting to me, I think, is back to Matthew Bates. Now, he is the anti-parliament clerk. He told us that Monaghan, remember last month, was simply clarified the use of the fuel cards. Anyway, but he could not point to anywhere in the determination that implies it's appropriate for politicians to use those fuel cards for private interstate travel. He also claimed that staff at the Department of Legislative Assembly advised Monaghan to update the determination. Now, this is weird, Pete. Now, this is this is a big key point in all of this. However, Bates also said he believed previous determinations included, quote, he says, included specific wording to the effect that a member was responsible for vehicle running costs when the vehicle was used interstate. And this wording was removed in 2006 or 2007. It certainly hasn't been included in any RTDs for many years, he said. A couple of things on that one. One, there was nobody, as I understand it, at Parliament, well, who works in Parliament today, who knew about, who was there in 2006, 2007. Mm. That's interesting that some staffer went to Monaghan and said, oh, yeah, you should change this. I don't believe that. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I think these two clowns went there and said, yeah, you should change it so we can use our cards to go, because then they went a week after he made the determination. Mm. But the real part here uh, is that he's saying that there there was wording in it before to the effect that a member was responsible for vehicle running costs when the vehicle was used interstate. So it was in there before, saying that you shouldn't, that you're not allowed to do it. So somehow over the years it gets out there, but it, it it's not specifically stated that you don't do it, mm-hmm. but it's implied. Because it hadn't been done. It had, it was in there saying you're not allowed to do this. And so somehow it gets moved out. So they just said, well, we'll just make our own. Like, this is the government, elected officials, making their own entitlement schemes to charge taxpayers for their own personal benefit. Mm. This is what has transpired here. And, you know, and, and nothing. And so far, nothing. So we've got, um, you know, young Charging taxpayers twenty six hundred bucks to drive to his hometown in New South Wales, uh, pay church taxpayers eight hundred and twenty eight bucks to drive to Adelaide from Alice Springs over Christmas and included a stop in SA Wine Country. Now, Pate makes, and this is the other thing that's a real kick in the nuts to everybody, is that Pate makes nearly $300,000 as Attorney General. And Young, as Deputy Speaker, makes 
nearly 200,000. And these idiots thought they should go in and then make taxpayers pay for their fuel for their own mm. holidays. So, of course, Robin Lamley, she's been out there calling for both labor politicians to reimburse taxpayers for their personal and interstate holidays. The CLP called it when they finally broke their silence, called it a complete disrespect of taxpayers' money. Monaghan instead has refused to answer questions about the legality of creating this new entitlement. Um, and, of course, last week flew to the UK as part of a taxpayer-funded junket uh, <laughs> through the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association for a conference on disaster management. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's that. ironic. That's what I thought. That, well, it could be said he's living through this Labour government. That's disaster yeah. management. Yeah, and, and uh, he's clarified the hell out of that, Chris, I reckon. He's <laughs> man. Yeah, like I, I just, this is just so over the top in my mind. Uh, and they're just getting away with it. And like something needs to be done about this. Like someone needs to refer this and not to the ICAC because he's not going to do anything. This needs to go. One, I'd be happy with the Auditor General um, or the police at this point, because this is what this is. This is a misappropriation of taxpayer money. Now, we know the ICAC's already investigating the former chief minister for his travel hmm. rorts, as we're calling it, during the campaign. That was travel rorts 1.0. This is 2.0. Yeah, and that was to the tune of 40000 That was very sneaky how they did that, and they weren't allowed to expend public funds on this stuff. Um, but, yeah, this is similar, uh, very similar, except that, like, in this case, they made it legal. Well, they think they made it legal, but I'm saying still, I don't think this is legal what they've done. So anyway, uh, I just, I also don't get it. Like they, not only do they make that much money, but they get a travel allowance rolled into their electorate allowance mm -hmm. that they could have used, even though it's for their own private holiday, just pay for it yourself like the rest of us. And fuel, like you said, we got into that before, how much that was. Yeah. You know, we don't have, you know, day-to-day -to -day territorials don't have, these kind of funds. So, yeah, well, the government will just pay for my fuel. I can drive to New South Wales and back. Yeah, this yeah. is so outrageous. It just doesn't seem, um, you know, we, we, we talk about common sense a lot, but it just common sense doesn't seem to suggest that this is right. You know, it just, yeah. it just smells wrong. And at the end of the day, um, you effectively are employed by the Northern Territory itself and you work for the people and if you're taking a holiday anywhere outside of that jurisdiction then whatever taps turned on when you're inside the northern territory related to travel and yeah. you know, the benefits that you get common sense would suggest i'm going on holiday that tap's got to be switched off until i get back yeah yeah like they're going on holiday to get away from the job so yeah. why should we pay for them yeah and and we've talked about the timing of the holiday yeah. previously as well Absolutely. yeah let's leave that aside but just common sense says well why would the taxpayers pay for your travel when it's got nothing to do with what you do for work right it's all about respecting territorians in the end and it's you know when you come in as a politician and you look at stuff that you can take advantage of and you think i'm not going to do that because it's not right it's not yeah. within my moral limits to do something like that 
And and these two idiots have shown that they do not have the moral capacity to to determine right from wrong. And it's particularly frightening that it's the first law officer, it's the attorney general, who thinks that that's mm-hmm. okay to charge taxpayers for his personal holidays. Instead of saying, you know, I need to be a man of integrity, I need to be higher and held in a different category and level than anyone else here. I'm a minister of the crown, I'm the first law officer of the Northern Territory. I'm not going to claim that. All right, my maid Monaghan said I could. I don't think it looks good. I don't think it's the right thing. I think I should pay for my own travel. Yeah. Um, They're incapable of doing this, Pete. They are in it for themselves and only for themselves. And if this doesn't show that to everybody, once again, and in another form, I don't know what does. But, you know, how many times do we have to show that these people only care about themselves? This is why we're in such a bad situation here with everything, the whole place crumbling down and the institutions falling down. They're only in it for themselves. Yeah, and look, I hate to go back to this statement, but it's so relevant when we have these types of conversations. I can't remember the episode number, but it was early on when the podcast commenced and we had Owen Pike on and something he said that's just always stuck with me ever since is that he'd love to see politicians who are stepping down to come into this role rather than stepping up. And in many cases, this would be the best job that, some of these pollies will ever have, and that's not a great situation to yeah. be in. No. <laughs> no, that's right. And, yeah, and if you're looking at Chancey Paik and D-Ron Young, you're thinking, yeah, these guys, they weren't going to make it anywhere else except for in politics. Um, yeah, so that 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 is something. That is something, and that's something that I've gone on about too, about how we need better people and better quality candidates. Where mm. you know, in the old days, it was people who wanted to give back yeah. to the community who've already accomplished something. Didn't matter about their qualifications per se, but just that they've accomplished something personally and then they think it's time to give back. And we're not getting that. We're getting these career asshole politicians. <laughs> this is this is the, the symptom of that. Um, or this is the effect of that. And and oh, it's just yeah, it, it's just really annoying. And you know, and I think illegal. Yeah, and uh, look, the other thing too, just before we move on, is that you know, if if you've got staffers that are then going in to become MLAs. <laughs> they know how to work the system. Well, that's the problem. You've got yeah. this potential situation where if, if their former boss were the type of person you're describing, as in someone who's achieved a lot and now wants to give back, then mm. their moral compass is probably going to be pretty good. Yeah. But if their boss or former boss is of the other persuasion, then... Unfortunately, they, they come in with this tainted sort of viewpoint on how things should be done. And it's a good point, Pete. Very good point. And we know both of these guys were staffers and they know how the, the machinations work and what can be claimed and what can't. And then so they were so bold as to go and create a new one, get their friend, mm-hmm. the speaker, to create a new entitlement. That's yeah. really just part. Yeah. Anyway, no, you're right. You're right. All right. We'll leave that and move to the next uh, story. A good news story, this one, Chris. Uh, I said that tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah, I was like, am I following the list here, Pete? <laughs> You're talking about pokies? Yeah, the new pokies announced for Alice Springs amid uh, community turmoil, Chris. Yeah, that's right. Hey, nothing can go wrong here. Alice Springs is going so swimmingly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe a doctor came out recently and said the so crime problem is that? over. What was with that guy? Was that tongue-in-cheek sarcasm? No, no, no. This guy meant it. And it just so happens that the Congress, so that was John Boffa, 
Yeah. Dr. John Buff, who's the head of that uh, uh, Aboriginal, Central Australia Aboriginal Health Congress, I think it's called. Uh, incidentally, Pete, what wasn't reported is that uh, he's been given $10 million by the federal government, that organization. I think it's actually more than $10 million to right. provide programs and services, right, through this federal intervention money. Yep. I guess we won't call it, but you know, when the feds came up and they had 250 million, yeah, yeah. they were going to spread. Like, well, Boffa got some of that. His organization got some of that. So that's very interesting. And then he comes out and says, oh, there's no problem. So we fixed everything. Well, and yet he's collecting all this money from the government. So who's really saying that? Anyway, no, there, there's serious problems down there. That was just bizarre. Yeah. Um, and we might have more on that too, because there's some other things going on with, yeah, what is family members are doing down there as well right. um but anyway we'll, we'll we'll save that for when we get it the uh what's going on though is that yeah if we listen to him alice springs is uh terrific and so it needs more pokies <laughs> because that's what that's what they're saying they need no in fact most of the uh the people down there are saying we don't want any more and they mm-hmm. were outraged that iris capital this is this new south wales this uh, company out of new south wales coming and bought everything in town last year's casino they own just i think every pub now in town so they want more pokies because the 400 or so that they have at the uh at the casino well that just ain't enough and the 40 here and the 40 there at all the different clubs well that just ain't enough so they wanted 60 they wanted 60 more uh but the great man chancy pig uh he's made a decision and this was spun like just so bad in the end and the state media picked up on it again the nt <laughs> news where they said less pokies for alice springs uh not exactly how this is going to work is this he's reduced he's lowered essentially the cap by 40 so it used to be that, that there could be and this is territory wide 1699 machines there's now the cap is 1659 <laughs> but it means that Iris Capital will put through these active or these applications. Uh, twenty of those for twenty new machines are still active, which will still go ahead. Um, now it still needs final approval, but it has to go through the process. They can still get these twenty machines, and that would be installed at the Todd Tavern and the Gapview Hotel. Some right. places you might recall from such fun news stories as "Man Gets Stabbed," "Man yes. Gets Murdered." You know, this is. Um, and then and, and fights out that, that spill out of the pub and uh, people mm. have been drinking and been gambling. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't think that anybody thinks that this is a good idea except for Chancey Paik and, and, and Iris Capital. And, you know, the, the, this has kind of been the overwhelming feedback that we've heard from it is that something's not right with this whole thing. Something just doesn't sound right. If he cared about the territory, Chancey Pegg, Group Falls government, do the limit, go further. Make sure those other 20 don't come. They can do that. They can change the law and they can do that. We know that they love changing the law for things when they get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And they get sued and then they just go and change the law. But for this, for something that would be in the community's benefit now, well, they made a deal with them, we'll give you 20. Um, but we're going to take 40. We won't let you get the other 40, but you still get 20. But why? So, um, you know, but this is him. This is Chancey Pegg. I mean, ah. Uh, this guy is just really hard to take these days, and especially knowing that he's ripping us off for his personal 
travel. Anyway, he gets on there on the ABC and he and Alice and he says the government heard loudly and clearly the community sentiment around the community wanting no new machines and new venues. He told ABC Radio Tuesday morning, there will certainly be under a territory labor government less and less, not more and more pokies across the territory. Um, you know, but you know he wasn't asked about that. Well, why not just lower it even further now? I mean, and and under what? Yeah. Anyway, this 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 it, it works me. It's worked a lot of people, and the government's cap has also worked. Member for Erlewine, Robin Lamley, who said PAIC was misleading territories by not including all gambling machines in the cap numbers. So you know he, yeah, he's lowered yeah. that. So she's saying the NT's two casinos operate under separate arrangements and are not subject to the cap. So she says carving off or separating the casino pokies from the total count is completely dishonest. She said when you add the 400-plus poker machines at Lassiter's to the total count, Alice Springs has the highest number of poker machines per capita in Australia. That's, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's frightening yeah. statistic. Um, she said that is what we should be talking about, not slippery figures hiding the truth. A local group called No New Pokies, uh, they said that their research showed 98% of Alice Springs locals and tourists did not want more pokies. I don't know how they get that, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But we'll assume that it's a pretty high number, that it's not popular. We know that. It's just not popular. But from locals there, I don't know, tourists, I don't care what they have to say, really. Um, applauded the decision to reduce the cap by 40, this group, but said they could have gone further. The NT government could have stopped new pokies in their tracks by reducing the cap by another 20 machines. Uh, group member Emma Buckley Lennox told the ABC, the only reason they did not do this is to appease Iris Capital, a multi-billion dollar interstate company. Uh, Robin Lamley agreed. It's time for a full reform of the laws and reporting around all electronic gambling machines in the NT. She said, the hand-balling and lack of transparency in the minister's announcement today is a sign that this industry is still being controlled by commercial interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair comment. Yep. Yep. And that's, look, and that's just the takeaway from all of this. Everyone's like, if he really wanted to do something good, he could have done it, and he didn't. So why didn't he do it? Mm. And do they need any more pokies? You know, yeah, there's a lot more with Iris there, too, and, and there'll probably be more stories from us. If I, if I can, um, we'll be, you know, they, they've made promises to do a lot of things down there, and Alice, and a lot of jobs, and a lot of things, and, and you know, they're different reports that they file with the government. There's still, there's still some more stuff there about the numbers that they're using and where exactly the benefit is to the community. And that's, so we'll be looking at it. We've gone to Iris capital before for comment. They've, they've not responded and it doesn't mm-hmm. appear they respond to any other media either. So, um, but yeah, this is still going to be a, a hot button issue down there for a while. Um, yeah. So there'll be more on them. Yeah, just on that, I said this on News Bites, but I, I thought about it afterwards, and it's sort of, you know, it's one of those, another one of those head-shaking things where you think to yourself, really, do they think that people are <laughs> stupid or they're not eligible to know all the information? And why do they separate the numbers with casino poker machines to pubs and clubs, it just doesn't make sense. It it feels yeah. deceptive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, and those machines have gone way up. I'm being told at last since Iris took over too. 
they've been getting a lot more machines yeah. that, you know, yeah. where there really are no limits. So yeah, yep, yeah, we'll be looking into all that. All right, uh, let's move on to the next story, political again, but this is the other side of politics. And uh, Leah, Leah Finocchiaro, the CLP leader, has dodged a no-confidence motion uh, by her party members. Yeah, you remember this, Pete. We, we broke this a little while ago, I think back in April that this was going to happen the first weekend in June and Catherine uh, at Central Council. It sure did. Uh, they did bring it forward, the no-confidence motion. Now, it was a couple of disgruntled branches of the party that brought it up. Uh, uh, but she's defeated it. She, uh, you know, she'd gone down. She's been in this kind of mode. Remember, her? it overshadowed her budget reply speech where she offered Bill Yan this position because she was <laughs> worried about his support and in uh, the, the wing, in the parliamentary wing. Yes. Um, and that really, yeah, it really took, like, I, yeah, geez, I cannot, I just keep thinking about that and I cringe at how bad the CLP's handled things in the past month or so. Um, anyway... Because, yeah, the whole bunch of reply speech was just thrown out the window because she did this deal and Madison picked up on it and everybody did. And the labor was actually right about how she was paying people off. <laughs> now, that was just one day for Leah Finocchiaro. Leah Finocchiaro's been making deals with all kinds of people in the party since that story broke that we did back in it in late April about this no confidence motion. So um, she's made deals not only with Billy Ann, but a lot of other people. And, you know, I was told that that at that meeting, um, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a secret ballot type of thing. Do you have confidence in the in the leader? And they made it so you got to stand up and put your hand up. And so that made a lot of people nervous um, because I guess they didn't know where everyone else was standing in there. But we do know that that there's issues here with the party and these rumblings of discontent. Um, yeah, it started in April from these powerful branches, which have the numbers, including Alice Springs and Litchfield, which hold a large amount of party votes between them. So they started circulating the no-confidence motion. Um, we know that the, the look, a lot of people, and she can dodge this thing, the fact that they even brought it forward shows that there's discontent mm. in the party. Now, and we know that rank-and-file members we spoke to told us they were unhappy with Finocchiaro's leadership style, which they said was not consultative. Members were also concerned she had failed to win over voters with a clear vision for what a CLP government would do if elected, failing to capitalize with voters over the current Labour government's failures. Uh, this is the other big thing here, Pete. Finocchiaro lost three straight by-elections against a sitting government, which is essentially unheard of in politics. Yep. Uh, those by-election losses also followed the loss of the Johnston by-election in the last term of government and the 2020 general election, marking five straight defeats under her leadership. Yeah. And she's still hanging around. Um so, party president now, Sean Heenan, issued a statement on Saturday night. This is after the uh, the no-confidence motion, I guess, was defeated. Uh, he said a robust discussion was held, and the motion was resoundingly defeated. Uh, yeah, it was followed by a successful motion, he said, of support in Leah Finocchiaro in the oh, parliamentary this. wing. Ah. The CLP remains focused on August 2024 and electing a CLP government led by Leah Finocchiaro, who will build a safer, stronger territory. 
So she silenced her critics here at what cost? Well, we'll soon see. Mm. Um, but I'm telling you, it wasn't just Bill Yen that got a, an offer and all of this to secure her leadership. And it's going to be interesting when, when the time comes to pay, you know? It is. That that whole thing sounds like the political version of, uh, do you remember uh, in the WWF? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they used to have the, the, used to have the guy that would fling the guy to the, to the corner. And then halfway through, he'd do the reversal and then swing the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> and not, no confidence motion was followed by a confidence motion. <laughs> Jump up on the turnbuckle while the other guy's coming in to crash into you. Yeah, and then you, yeah. And often a chair would come out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've just described every central council of the CLB. And uh, yeah, it sounds like that or, yeah. Mm on unicycles, but uh, anyway, look, the party's, again, seen three presidents in a little over a year amid this internal bickering. Yeah. I don't think they're any closer to resolving that. Um, you know, and, and one of those big issues was uh, the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Um, and Fernando yeah. is still remaining noncommittal on that issue. It's divided the party. Um, and she hasn't brought people with her. And I think that's the big thing, you know, it's that idea. And Giles was particularly bad at that. And he could have been good at it, but he didn't do it. And Gunnar, too, is taking people with you. And, and Leah's not able to do that. Like, Leah's been unable to tell the party, look, we need to go kind of more central if we're going to win this. So she still has a certain you know, right elements that want her conservative elements to want her, her to go further right. But she's not explaining to them why yeah. she's not, she's not taking them with them saying, here's what we got to do. And this is why we got to do it so we can win. And so they, they've just lost faith in her and she's not, she's not only has she not explained it, but then they, just their whole strategy is off. Their whole strategy yeah. is broken. Right. Mm. And, and they, but they believe it, but they think like, if we just follow this, we're going to be reelected. And they're not like nobody there knows what they're doing on the fourth floor. Mm. So you've got a really bad situation um, all around there. And this is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to go, Leah. But for her that she beat this no confidence motion, but she hasn't addressed the issues that are still at play here. And that's going to come back on her. Yeah, and look, I know this hasn't been popular previously. We've talked about it a bit. I've described the current opposition as impotent and the fact that, you know, they've failed to win anything uh, in opposition and particularly yeah. these by-elections. The problem is that at the moment we don't really know what they stand for. And you're absolutely right. There's this sort of, uh, you know, they're sort of mired in this right-wing conservative uh, politics, which, you know, there's obviously a market for that and there are certain people that, that follow that. But we're about 14 months away from an election and we don't know what they stand for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on some of the key issues, they've just been silent. Yeah. When, you know, you could get a free kick in front of goal with all of them, but saying nothing is just, it's weak. Yeah. Yeah. And inexplicable, really. Like, it's yeah. just bad politics. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where they go. But, um, yeah, you're right about that. Uh, what do they but stand this, for? What, what you said, this expectation that they're just going to get voted in, it will not happen. Well, and they think that because of crime. And if they just say, we're going to be tough on crime, it's the same shit. And, yeah. um, you know, they're going to have some ex-police officers again. 
yeah run for them and this will look like they're being tough on crime oh we got former police officers running it's not going to be enough it's not going to be enough here and and, and when you are suddenly tough on crime where are you going to put all these prisons yeah. because yeah. the jails are full so yeah. have they, you got that in your budget building another jail yeah have you got that in any of your policies exactly yeah. how this is going to go down yeah it's it's they're just continuing to tread water and i think they're they're getting under more and more and mm. having a harder time popping popping their yeah. heads back up yeah yeah and it, and i get absolutely no joy out of saying that stuff because at the end of the day who wins and who loses that's up to the voters to decide and and you know the results will be based on on who goes in with the most uh, appealing policies or leaders or politicians mm. but to have an an opposition that's not even holding the government to account. That's not good for anyone. No, no it is not. Absolutely right. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's move on to the next story, uh, the building code. Chris, uh, we talk too much about buildings and building codes, but this is a story that is a concern because of these building code restrictions. Uh, it's make, making student accommodation shortfalls even worse, according to the Property Council of the NT. Yeah, that's right. And and look, I guess we'll give that to the CLP on this one. They actually did come out with this one saying that that was an idea that they had. Now the government saying, well, we thought about this too. Well, but they didn't, they're not changing, they're not cutting any of the red tape around here. And this is what we see the issue is. So yeah, I guess to their credit, this is the one positive that they had this week was that the CLP opposition did call uh, for empty office spaces to be converted into special purpose accommodation to help alleviate the student population's dilemma of finding safe and affordable accommodation in Darwin. But this is what the Property Council NT has warned. Of course, Ruth Palmer, no less. Yep. Everyone's tipping to be the next uh, pre-selected uh, candidate for Blaine for Labour. Anyway, in this case, she's and she's been critical of labor too, and effectively at times yep. too. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of, um, you know, connect all of those things or and negotiate her, that. And I think her background's pretty heavily entrenched in the union movement too, Chris. Yeah, so yeah. she knows how to stand up for things. Yeah, and so you know, uh, she and the property council NT warning now that the NT's existing building code restrictions will worsen the dismal state of student accommodation, and eventually hamper economic activity in the jurisdiction unless something's done. Yeah. Um, now this is stuff. This is exactly why we have a government that should be looking at this. Now. <laughs> so the Australia's doing stuff and they're trying to be proactive and change laws so that they can make this stuff happen because it's what's needed we know that there's a, a glut of office space that's just not being used around the city yep. <laughs> like it's crazy how much but um yeah and so well if if we've got this um you know this massive cdu thing where meanwhile you got Scotty Bowman when he's not telling the Chinese government how much he loves them. He's telling <laughs> Territorians that we got to open our doors to the Chinese students and let them come in and rent a room from us because there's no accommodation anywhere for them. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he said that. He appealed to property owners and households with vacant spaces to help in the lodging gap for students. Uh, with the arrival of more students for the coming semester, and CDU has estimated a shortfall of about 200 rooms for student accommodation. That's just now. 
but that's expected to worsen, of course, when the new CDU campus in Darwin City opens next year. I guess they're saying that they're done. They hit some sort of milestone recently on that. Yep. Uh, so Bowman said, if you've got a spare room, maybe a spare bedroom or a granny flat that you're not using, consider taking an international student to occupy that room. Um, yeah, we've got another six or 700 students arriving for semester two, he said. Our recruitment is just going through the roof. It's going to be very, very tight in the city. This mm-hmm. is a guy who said that he couldn't get, he, he couldn't tell people it's safe anymore. And then I think he walked that back when the government told him, don't say that. Um, <laughs> and then he went to the Chinese and said, I love you guys. You guys are the best. If I could live love in China, guys. I would live there with you guys. I'd rather be in China than Darwin, he said. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. As reported by Jin Hao Media, <laughs> yeah. who is now our state, and now partnership with New, with News Corp and NT News to, provide, <laughs> to run us out of business here. Um, anyway, thank God for independent media, Pete, still, right? Like, Absolutely. is this not proof of why we need it? So, yep. so look, the property council saying that, yeah, this, this is great. Um, an idea to, well, to, deal with this by by empty but using the empty office space and converting them into that special purpose accommodation now ruth palmer said that a report that they did uh nationally through our student accommodation council shows that currently darwin has a ratio of only one bed per 33 students she added while property developers have expressed interest in building affordable housing for students and we have seen some of that recently uh, development applications have been denied because of existing building code restrictions concerning car park numbers she said so the current code means that they uh, have to provide all the required long-term amenities that are pretty much not essential or ideological of course you wouldn't think that the students would have a need for cars but you know if they're in the city everybody's in the city they're out of yeah, um, so yeah, so she said, so the current code means, yeah, that they'll have to do that. Car parking has played a massive issue in the development applications that have been going through. The approval hasn't been given, and some of them have been due to that car parking requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, but the property council also warned here that the NT's economic activity would slow down in the next two years if no policies put in place addressing rental housing scarcity in the near term. So the government should look at that those vacant buildings and floors that could be repurposed. Um, so that is where we are at. And in fact, at present, there is only one property near the CBD uh, listed on the University Study Stays portal, a two-bedroom apartment located in Stewart Park. Mm-hmm. So the need is there to, um, to kind of convert these things, but uh, it seems regulation stopping them at this point. And I think I know the apartment in Stewart Park as well. Right. Forty-five students living there. The last time I drove past, <laughs> in a two-bedroom. Yeah, yeah wow. there seemed to be about sixty pairs of shoes out the front. Jesus, yeah, and I just, yeah, and, you know, after what happened there, you hope that they're safe too, and that the Absolutely. doors lock properly, and they can be yeah. safe. Correct. Hey, uh, Chris, one question I have from that is. Um, that would be uh, those beds must be getting fairly crowded if there's thirty-three people in one bed. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, man, this is Darwin. I remember the old hotbeds in Hong Kong they used to talk about, like all the shift workers, you know, literally someone would get out of bed and go to work, someone would arrive home and hop into the same bed. <laughs> well, that's where we're going, I think. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, it's not good. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, look, it's it's not a bad initiative. And if there are empty buildings, it can be, 
converted to accommodation because not every uh, you know commercial office can be. But um, you know, at least in the interim, in short term, yeah. it it could be a good way of um, you know fixing the shortfall. Yeah, look, I think so, and and it's something that the government can make happen quite easily. Absolutely, they want to. Yeah. just like they did with their extra campus uh, of the university in the city. <laughs> yeah, that, that nobody needed and goes yeah. too much. Or yeah. wanted. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Chris, let's move to the uh, final news story for the week. And I've got a good one for you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Qantas have announced a, a Canberra to Darwin route, which takes off. And I'll tell you, by the time this goes to air, it will have already taken off. <laughs> That's right. Out of uh, Canberra to Darwin, Darwin to Canberra, it's all happening. Yeah. Only here. I, I presume don't know. the feds made this happen, did they? Uh, yeah, look, Pete, it was kind of interesting on that, right? So I think we got this. I think our guy found this on a, uh, a trade publication report. In how? Uh, yeah, no, this was an Australian one, I think. And they only had people from Canberra quoted. And it was like the, the Canberra airport head of aviation, Michael Thompson. Um, and we didn't have anyone from Darwin in there, including the anti-government. No, no. Now, yeah. this is, I was yeah. unaware, probably. I, I honestly believe that they were. I think that, oh, really? uh, yeah, yeah, as much as you remember Files saying that she wouldn't talk to Bonzo, she was too busy, but her people were dealing with their people. But then she's been saying, oh, no, we're, we're actively trying to, um, to, to get some more flights here to Darwin. And then, you know, they talk about all this, but they're not, they're nowhere to be found when this, uh, when this announcement's made. They're not quoted in this. Now, what, what right. it is, it's the Qantas link will resume its Canberra to Darwin seasonal service. And it's seasonal at this point, they're saying, five times weekly from June 9 until September 29th this year, uh, after the service was cut in 2021. So Qantas Link will have flights departing Canberra in the evenings on Monday, Tuesdays, Thursday, Fridays, and Sundays, and in the afternoons from Darwin. So we'll actually leave Darwin at 1.40, this flight, touch down in Canberra at, uh, what is that, 430 uh, no, sorry, six thirty, and um, returns from Canberra at seven ten, landing back in Darwin at eleven fifteen p.m. So the NT government did not provide comments about the new flights, which is is very interesting. But the yeah. guy in Canberra said the return of this route will bring more people to the region and provide an opportunity. Now I think he's talking about that region, <laughs> Canberra, <laughs> and provide an opportunity for Canberrans to escape the chill and enjoy a tropical break in the Northern Territory. And it provides the opportunity for Territorians to escape the crime. <laughs> yeah, if we want to go to Canberra, this is your chance. Um, I've, I've always, I've been to Canberra a few times, of course. I like it. It's yeah. cold. It always seems yeah. cold to me when I'm there. You're always cold. It shouldn't be cold. It's cold. Um, but yeah, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Sundays, they'll be taken off um, in the afternoons from Darwin. Uh, and what else are they saying here? It's considered seasonal at this point, so it'll pause on September 29th. Uh, no word on whether they might continue after this date. I guess they have to look at that. Mm. Uh, it was suspended that the Canberra Darwin route in June 2021, but they've noticed that chartered flights continue to operate the route. Uh, and this will now be the first time since the suspension that flights will be available to the public. So you can go ahead and book it now. Uh, the two aircraft comes with uh, 10 business and 84 economy seats and nine business and 88 economy seats. 
Yeah, two aircrafts, similar numbers there. Yeah, what they can hold. So it'll be interesting. interesting. I just wonder whether there's um, some federal government um, uh, bureaucrats needing to take those flights. I can't imagine there'd be a tourist demand for it. Yeah, I can't imagine that there'd even be that much of a bureaucratic demand unless they're coming up here for some project or something. I I don't know. Um, There certainly used to be a lot of flights um, from Darwin to Canberra and vice versa, but they tended to be pretty much always government workers yeah, you know, yeah. taking them back and forth. Because I don't know if there still is, but there certainly was quite a large um, federal government, um, you know, government worker base in – or federal government departments based in, in Darwin. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, maybe this is a positive thing then, Pete. I, I didn't think of it that way, but, you know, we said we wanted federal intervention, uh, administrative yeah. intervention up here to control things, so maybe yeah. this is the way to do it. Maybe in look, three months it'll go down once they've shipped everyone up over the yeah, yeah. September. And if they want to bring up a judge from down there who wants to oversee this federal inquiry that we need into police. A recently um, retired imminent judge? <laughs> we'll take anyone who has no links to the Northern Territory, but it is <laughs> interesting as we say that camera is the place that actually did do an inquiry into their problems once they realized that the public had lost faith over the Lerman and uh, Higgins matter yeah. so um, yeah hopefully maybe that's the positive spin on this that we need that we'll get some federal um, people up here to take care of business because we need something we need somebody to come in and take charge absolutely all right Chris just hold it there for a second and now it's time for the job files Thanks to no one in particular. As always, the most eagerly anticipated segment of the week, Chris. And I've got a humdinger for you this week. I've actually got two because I got this one and thought, ah, got to read this. And then another one came up which piqued my interest because of um, what I perceive to be the significant pay gap between the two jobs. Okay. The first one is being offered by a little institution that you mentioned a few times tonight known as Charles Darwin University. Mm. Uh, They have got a job for the Chief Marketing and Communications (laughs) Officer. Now, I think we've advertised this before, haven't we, Chris? (laughs) They've reposted it. Well, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's the same job reposted or whether the last um, occupant of the seat got the hell out of there, <laughs> or maybe we haven't talked about it. But just it seems familiar. Yeah. But anyway, uh, this is a fixed five-year term, full-time five employment. Year. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Senior contract based at Casuarina Campus, uh, with the remit to elevate and transform the university's brand and reputation as a global leader in dual sector training, learning, and research. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, just thinking that like that, that job entails what they what they would do is that they would tell like university leaders. Okay, when China comes to town, here's what you say. I love Chinese culture. I visited China many, many times. I have friends in China. I love Chinese culture. I love fortune cookies. (laughs) This is the the great marketing and uh, media yeah, wisdom that they have there. 
The other thing I love about government and semi-government is their way of um, changing things outside of the normal uh, private sector. So this is known as the Chief Marketing and Communication Officer or the CMCO. I've heard of CMOs and COOs, but now we've got a CMCO. (laughs) You will be responsible for the development, implementation, and delivery of Charles Darwin University's marketing, media, and communications activities, enabling CDU to achieve the objectives of the strategic plan. Strategic plan is with a capital S and capital P for some reason. One needs to become familiar with the strategic plan before applying. Yes, correct. Uh, there's so much to this job that... Um, oh, yeah. I've heard enough. However, <laughs> what I will say is that there is no financial consideration mentioned for this role. So it indicates to me that it's going for a large amount of money, so well yep. worth applying for. Give it a crack. Um, if you're interested and you'd like to discuss some more, you can give Shannon a call. The I thought you were going to say Shanghai. <laughs> you can give Shanghai a call. <laughs> oh, Junhao Media. Uh, now Shannon is the Vice President Global and External Relations. Uh, that that's an impressive title. That yeah, would be wow. the VPG and DR. Uh, give Shannon a call on 08-8946-6858. Now, second job of the week, Chris. Yes. Is the Department of Industry, Tourism and Trade are looking for a marketing, a marketing technology manager. Ah. Right? So... This vacancy. Oh, you mean an MTP or MTM? Uh, apparently an MTM, yeah. Looking for the DITT. Um, this vacancy may be available in either Alice Springs or Darwin. It may be, we're not sure. Uh, <laughs> it's subject to negotiation with the successful applicant. But I thought it was interesting because this too sounds like a relatively senior role. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How, how much paying, Chris? Uh, don't mind. Wouldn't uh, want to even guess. It's a loaded question, I know. Yeah, like, one hundred and twenty-seven thousand two forty to one hundred and thirty-six Yeah, I was going to say sixty-two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I didn't try and guess. Lucky you didn't try and guess. Yeah, that's the part-time uh, version of that. Role. Yeah, it's double but, that. Um, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty senior role, but hmm. it's not paying huge dollars. I won't read it out because you can imagine the sorts of things the person would be responsible for. But if you want to know some more info, give Christy Beatty a call. She's the Director of Digital and Data, and she's available on 899 I wonder what the marketing technology to explain that, like you just on social media um, with marketing technology. Let me have a look. The marketing technology. The role will oversee the execution. Oh, this might be related to Shanghai. Um, the execution of Tourism NT's first party data strategy, including ah. tactical and strategic streams of work, and will project manage the implementation and onboarding of new associated technologies. Yeah, That's amazingly vague. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's interesting. It's tourism related, then specifically yeah. just to that. Yeah, 
Mm. Yeah, two mm. of the NT's role is to increase the desirability of the Northern Territory as a travel destination. Mm. Clean yeah. up your shit. That's yeah. the only thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the only bit yeah. of advice that I want to clean up your shit, NT yeah. government, fix stuff, and then people will come. And the but problem, stop trying yeah. to trick them. Poor old tourism NT. They're, they've they've got a, a hard yards trying to fix that because they can't fix what needs to be fixed in order yeah. to get people to come back. Yeah, I know. The government just yeah. needs to fix it. Yeah, and some technology manager is going to be expected to fix it on their <laughs> That's just the real frustrating thing about all of it, I think, for every Territorian is that, that they hired these people to come in and try and let's spin and trick us and yeah. sleight of hand when they've got to address the root causes of the problems to get a holistic fix for the place. And they just have not shown the want or desire to do that or the ability or inclination to do that. And mm. and this is why they're failing us so badly. Anyways, yeah, it's just really frustrating. These jobs like this, like, just fix your shit. Just fix the shit. Mm. Yeah, well, um, I thought I had the... Um the heading for this episode, but you might have just changed it for me. Now, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know, that's what we do here. We break it down and uh, give it to people so they understand what's going on. That's how I like to think of it anyway. Yeah. Try and expose things that people haven't seen before or heard about. Yeah. Absolutely. We look forward to another dose next week. <laughs> All right. Great. Thanks, Pete. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent online newspaper. Weekends with Walshy back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. Have a nice week. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.